Welcome to Yippie Kaye Classic. Hi, everybody. How's it going? The group. Hello. You know what? Go ahead. Give your names. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Your you guys want to do your names? Start with Sean. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Sean Paul Murphy. I'm Debbie. That's Wojo laughing like a hyena. I'm Michelle Brad, Wojo. I'm John. He's going to edit this all out now. Right. <laughs> Who we got to talk, John? Introduce yourself. I've introduced myself already. I'm John. Okay. Oh, you're John. Drew, introduce yourself, Drew. Well, you just gave it away. Drew, introduce yourself. Hi, (laughs) Drew. You guys already know. Way to spoil it. You guys, we're gonna. I'm cutting this right out. Just and our special guest. Please do. We have a special guest, Sean. Introduce our guest, please. Is that the actual start of the show? Or we're going to launch right in. My first thing, Sean, what's the movie? What's the movie you brought to the table? Then you can introduce your guest. Hi, I'm Sean, and this week I brought one of my favorite films of all time, A Hard Day's Night, to the table. And you know, never knowing how people are going to react to a black and white film, I had to bring a special <laughs> guest, an old friend of mine from high school, Mike Lane. You know, Archbishop Curley, high school, class nice. of 79. Curly. there's another reason why I brought Mike. Ah. And I'll tell you why. And this is, this is no bullshit. Mike Lane literally saved my life with rock and roll with a little help from the Beatles. Can I have a moment to explain? Look at Mike. Nice. Like that. I mean, you left the only hanging first? with that one? Hi, yes. Mike. Yeah, he was hanging show. now. Okay, so here's here's what happened. Mike and I were friends in high school, lost track of him in college. And near the end of my college experience, I broke up with my longtime girlfriend. And I was literally in a suicidal downward spiral. I mean, literally suicidal. And one day I'm leaving the film lab at Towson and Mike is standing below at the door to the radio station. I'm like, Mike, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm here with um, Ed Neenan. Our band is recording at the radio station. And I'm like, and Ed was in my class and Ed was telling me he was in this band. I didn't know Mike was in it. So I thought that was really cool. Typical small But then there was a party that weekend. I mean, and by another friend of mine, Tom Brandow at his apartment. And um, I didn't realize that Tom also knew Mike, that they were like best friends since uh, like grade school or something. So I go to this party. I never went to parties because I was always worked, at, you know, and I was never. So I go to this party, you know, depressed as a dog. And um, near the end of the night, Mike and, and Ed, Ed Neen and another friend of mine took out their acoustic guitars and started playing Beatles songs. And then something amazing happened. Every girl in the party gathered around them in awe, you know, and I and. That's what struck me with all. I'm like, oh, my God, look at this. You know, every girl in the place is gathering around him. True, Mike? It happened. Okay. <laughs> He's not denying. No denial there. Um, you know, I, I mean, the music, I mean, I didn't, you know, I knew Mike played the guitar and all, and I never saw Ed, but they were doing such a great job singing these songs, too. But the girls were more impressive. And they had a show that Wednesday at a place behind a nightclub behind where Gordon Miller's music was. And it was a Wednesday night. There was no crowd there. So I went to, you know, this is the first time I ever went to see a band at a bar. 
And I went there and there was no one there. And I watched their set when they were amazing. The band was called The Click. Afterwards, Mike came over to the bar, over to the bar to talk to me. And I, and I, I pulled him aside and I said, Mike, this is amazing. Is it true that anybody who can play the guitar can get any girl at any time? Mike said, Look at me. I'm alone now. But, uh, but still, I mean, literally, you know, he inspired me to start playing the guitar, which I became somewhat obsessive with. And um, that really took, put my mind in a different place. And then I started, as soon as I knew three chords, I started writing songs. And I, I say that that year of writing songs was my therapy session that got me back on the road, back on the road to recovery. And once I had four songs, um, once I knew four chords, I was starting a band. So um, I do have to credit always Mr. Mike Lane for um, saving my life through rock and roll with a little help from the Beatles. So that's why I invited Mike right. to well, watch this movie. With Mike, us. thanks for saving Sean. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Absolute pleasure. And also, I have told Mike my boys. I just want to say one thing. Yeah. He's such a tremendous Beatles fan that when I would see like his band, the Rockheads at the Marble Bar, they play something like, um, I saw her standing there, but he wouldn't play it like the record. He would, he would like do George's solo from the Swedish concert. And he'd come off stage and go, Hey, did you notice what I did? Yes. Yeah, you know, so he really, he really knew. And back then before anthology, you had to get deep into the bootlegs to know all of that stuff. So uh, that's a that's nice awesome. story and, and an inspirational story that hopefully will get people to subscribe to our channel and oh, maybe share that story. So shameless. Mike, you could, you could increase our subscriptions by three, at least I maybe three. Yeah. Hopefully by uh, you at least. Well, having said uh, that nice story, by the way, yeah. we'll, get a, we'll get through the emotion of that well here's the film yeah okay why don't we watch a trailer maybe and then uh we'll get into it sound yeah. good all right let's yeah. do it find america turn left to greenland no actually we're just good friends has success changed your life yes are you a mod or a rocker um no i'm a mocker oh. when i'm All right, Sean, let us have it. You got any research on this baby or what? Yes, um, this is um, one of my favorite films. I think it's an, an incredibly joyful film. Uh, if you love the Beatles, you're going to love this film. And 
in addition to being a great and entertaining film, it's also very influential in its uh, mock documentary approach, its editing, its handheld camera. This is all stuff that's very common today, but um, and not that this invented any of that, but it really put together a package that would um, help define modern cinema, particularly, um, you know, like videos and things like this. This was a, a tremendous film, and um, its history is it was um, released by United Artists, United Artists didn't give a damn about this movie because they had discovered that there was a um, clause in the Beatles contract that, you know, um, Parlophone, Capital, EMI owned everything except movie soundtracks. They didn't have movie soundtracks in there. So United Artists just wanted to make a movie, any movie, so that they could get a Beatles album. So they they were planning to make money on the album. They viewed the uh, movie as a loss leader, they, you know, they had no anticipation that it was going to be good. It was done quickly on a really low budget. They were very wise in that they got Richard Lester, who was not really, who was established in some weird comedy sort of way, but not like an established feature director. And they got um, Owen, um, Alan Owen, um, a Liverpool writer who spent some time with them, you know, to gauge their personalities and wrote the script. And so, you know, he's also, you know, he's written a ton of stuff, but he was, this is his main piece. Director Richard Lester became one of the um, most successful directors in the sixties and in the seventies. I believed he was the highest paid director in the world for, a, for a long period. So um, this film influenced a lot of, of what happened afterwards. Um, you know, I was reading um, Roger Ebert's review and, you know, he gave it a four star thing and he said, it's hard to imagine the impact that this film had on the audiences at the time. He goes, many pe many young men walked into this movie with short hair and didn't cut it again until the seventies. You know, <laughs> so um, it was a it was a huge cultural milestone, and it's a really it's a great glimpse into like the most exclusive club in the world. You know, the four people in the Beatles. You know, they were much idolized. I. You know, in Beatle lore, you know, you're a first or third generation. I guess I'm kind of a first generation fan because I do remember the music when it first came out, the late singles. I was cognizant of the stuff being released. But um, this this was a, a fantastic movie. I, I love it. I will watch it many times before I die, unless I die tonight. Well, let me ask. Um, <laughs> well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Well, maybe Mike can save you again then. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Now, you guys said you graduated in 79, right? Yes. Both of you. That's when I graduated. So our memory That's of That's why you're Gen X and right. Mike and I are baby boomers. Yeah, I don't know how that Gen happened, X. but that's yeah, not happened. Gen X. I know. Um, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, my memory of the Beatles is kind of like yours because I obviously. Okay, one question. When did they hit uh, Ed Sullivan? Was that 63 64, or 64? February of 64. So this movie came out in 64. July after, of 64. So after oh, that. July. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yo, the movie July. Yeah. yeah. The Ed movie Sullivan. came out in July. They were, and when were they on Ed Sullivan? February of okay. 64. February. Okay. Um, so this had to have been, you think about young people with their, with their bands and stuff. To see this film, to go and actually see this film, it had to have been mind-blowing to be that close to, I mean, you're like sitting in the room with these guys. It's very personal. I know the writer followed them to kind of get their quirks and really enhance it in the film, I guess. And I think John has two pages of info. I'm sure Mike has a lot to say about the making and all that and what this actually, the, the, the 
the significance this film had on the band itself in, in America and how yeah. people perceive the Beatles. I mean, I'd like to hear some of that because my memory of the Beatles is kind of delayed, right? So to me, yeah, as I was getting older, teenager, you kind of knew about them, but it wasn't the significance that, that it would have had on teenagers that saw this film or were teenagers at the time. I mean, we knew they were good, but it wasn't the cultural phenomenon that I didn't Are you saying you really rediscovered them with the red and blue albums? I guess I, you know, I really don't know when I did, you know, I'm not a big music guy, so it's hard for me, but you know, as I got older, definitely I got all the collections. I got all the records and CDs and stuff. And, um, and like I said, that yesterday movie really makes you feel like how shitty the world would have been if the Beatles were never around. Yeah. Cause their music is just everywhere and it's, it's that impactful. So um, now as far as the film, you know, it's, it's a great, it's, it's, cute i liked it i like seeing the personalities i like seeing what they were doing richard lester definitely was ahead of his time with some of the angles they did all that stuff in that field that they shot um and movies like that thing you do just copied what they did in this film um to sort of shadow what was going on anyway i don't want to talk i want people to know about the film mike we brought mike on for a reason mike give us something about the film that that you're that why you became such a beetle maniac i guess is this part of it or uh, absolutely. Like you say, it's it's a, a great glimpse into their lifestyle and their personality. Um, they come across as fairly natural, I think, in the film. And having their uh, dialogue written by Alan Owen, who had followed them around, it helped them a lot. Um, they later felt like it pigeonholed them into the stereotype that they became known for um, I don't quite see it that way, but that's how they kind of felt about it. But like Sean said, it's a very joyous, great spirit to the film um, and very British. You know, at that by the time the film came out, other bands had started infiltrating the American charts. So everything British was great. But I was struck last night. I did watch it last night. Just how British it was. There was no pandering to an American audience. There's so much British slang I'm still trying to figure out some of what it means after all this time and having seen the film dozens of times. Um, it's still a great, enjoyable film, and the music is great. Um, I did watch the Miramax DVD that came out a while back, which was hideously rechanneled for some sort of 5.1 stereo, and they didn't have access to any master tape, so they took, I guess, the optical sound and tried to make a mono into 5.1 or something and it's hideous it's just an abomination it should not be so seeing that uh trailer for the uh janice version or whatever i've, I've got to update my copy because <laughs> it sounds I, a million times better can i say one thing at mike um when i went to the theater when they re-released um yellow submarine <clears throat> yeah not my favorite beatles movie but they that they had a true 5.1 mix yes and I tell you what, it was like hearing that music for the first time. Agreed. That that was wonderful. This, you know, I had the same mir terrible Miramax one too. Well, you know, I have to watch the movie, so even <laughs> even, even a crappy one. But the uh, new Blu-ray is, is great. Um, oh, Ralph, yeah. do you have this one on Laserdisc? I do not. I do not. Uh, like I said, I'm not. A, you know, I wasn't a huge Beatles fan as a kid, and the movies didn't really like. I knew this was sort of promotional for the record company um like i've never seen yellow i think i've seen yellow submarine i don't really remember and the other one is help i think 
Yeah, and don't no, forget not, but, Magical know, I, Mystery what, Tour. Right. Um, when yeah. do you guys, when is your first memory of the Beatles, though? I mean, you're, you're, you're telling me we're the same age. Uh, and what was your first, like, song that you were, what, what, what was the first thing that you remember about the Beatles? Mike and Sean or anybody, anybody jump I in? Heard, I remember, um, I remember hearing We Can Work It Out on the radio. I think that would probably be the earliest. And the first album I ever bought was the VJ introducing the Beatles, which is sort of a um, 12 track version of um, their, their, the Beatles first British album. So, um, and this would have pro this was after it was out. I'll tell you, I know what year I bought that album because I bought with the Beatles and I was listening on the, on the uh, stereo and my brother got from my uncle, the white album, you know, the Beatles white album. And he was listening to that on cassette. And literally I did not even know it was the same band. You know, I did not know it was the same band. So um, that shows you. And I do remember like Come Together and something and definitely all the later singles. But I think the earliest Beatles song I remember playing contemporaneously was um, was um, We Can Work It Out. Now, John, you have two pages of notes. Yeah, but I want to know, did, uh, I know Drew hadn't seen this. Wojo or Brad, have you seen this before? No. Uh -uh. I'd like to hear what they say before I get into my stuff. Oh, I don't think you, you want me to, to go. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. All right. So obviously I'm, I'm a Beatles fan. I, I now, of course, I don't have a memory of them as they were when they were around. Cause I was born in 1968. So I was, they were pretty much done by the time I was speaking. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do remember them obviously early as a kid and, and, you know, knew heard a lot of the songs because they were still, you know, this is probably early mid seventies when I was, you know, starting to listen to music a little bit. Obviously, I'd, 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 I mean, I don't really specifically remember where. I don't have a ton of great memories of when I was a kid, but I, I know I must have been hearing it all the time because I, when I was pretty young, I knew a ton of their songs, you know. Um, but um, yeah, so no, I had never seen this movie. Um, you know, it, I, I, it was a lighthearted movie. It was. It was fun in some ways, but, um, and I get it, and the music was great, but I think the music is what kept it going, and I, I understand the purpose of the movie, which was kind of more promotional, I believe, I'm sure it was kind of capitalizing on their their peak, I think, they, I'm sure this is kind of the main purpose of the movie, because I, and I have to believe that that was the main purpose of the movie, because the movie, as a movie, I thought was crap, <laughs> it was, it was kind of stupid, it was silly. And but I but I understand you were seeing their personalities. I, I got the but I get the purpose of the movie. You know, I, I think you were you were really seeing their personalities and their their silliness and they were kind of, you know, carefree and that kind of they were they were a new generation and they were kind of, you know. Um, well, and, and some of the things we talked about, you know, the goofiness that they did led to the monkeys. Right. You know what I mean? And that TV show became very goofy mm -hmm. and silly and that yeah. kind of stuff. I understand why this movie was revolutionary. I caught, you know, we were joking about, I guess they got the helicopter for one day and I'm sure those shots were mm -hmm. amazing when they came out and the handheld stuff I'm sure was amazing. And I'm sure a lot of girls went to see this because this was the predecessor to the video to like rock videos. What did I think about it as a movie? I didn't like it. I, I mean, I like the Beatles, but as a movie, <laughs> Mike, could you bring Sean back from the dead again? Heel, heel. Um, I, 
I, I love the Beatles. And I actually remember when I got my first Beatles albums and that was, I got the greatest hits, the red and the blue. And my mom bought me the album albums from the long defunct two guys department store. Oh yeah. That's where I got them too. And, um, and you know, and I got her to get me, um, wings. It was a live album and they said the F word. My mom didn't know it. And I was very happy <laughs> as like a sixth grader or something. Oh, 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 my mother doesn't know. Um, so I listened I, I wrote a book report, you know, on the Beatles you know, we had to like read a magazine and talk about it. So I got a magazine about the Beatles. I really like the Beatles. I really like their work. I did not love this movie. I'm glad I saw it. Um, I see we, we, Brad and I talked a lot about how there were definitely things that made it revolutionary, but there was no plot. I mean, it was, it was just, it was it for what it was. It, it like was said, great at what it was. I don't, I don't know that they were trying to make a great movie. I think they were just trying to promote the Beatles. I really think that's yeah. the main purpose of it. Well, it was a mockumentary it like Spinal Tap in, one day. Well, the, the music company didn't expect us to make any money. And they were right, just, yeah. it was a lost leader for the album. So, all right. Well, Drew, had you seen this? the movie make? It was, it, a it, it was, a, it was big. Yeah. I don't it was know. huge. Well, I'm sure it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you said it was on after Ed Sullivan, right? Or it came out after Ed it came Sullivan. out July after Sullivan. By then yeah. they were yeah. really, you know, yeah. kind of skyrocketing. Well, and those yeah. were real kids chasing them in all those scenes. That, well, that no, was, and, sure. uh, the scene when they first get on the train was actually they were about to shoot the first scene in the train. So Lester grabbed the handheld and said, let's just get them because those those weren't extras. Those were real people running them into the train. That wasn't part of the script that right. he just filmed it and just kept it in. So right, they were Drew. running for their lives. Did you, had you had you seen this before? I had not seen this before. Um, since we're just throwing out information to have our identity stolen, I was born in 1976. So <laughs> I, grew up, <laughs> I grew up in a world 70. where John was already dead. And of course, the, the Beatles were long gone. And, you know, the best music that they created ultimately, obviously, was Yoko Ono's solo work. But I think, I think, I mean, it's, it's funny, this movie, I mean, I grew up in America and on earth, so I've heard the Beatles <laughs> and they're, they're extraordinary. I mean, What's just watching the movie, name, Drew? No, my, um, I, I, my experience with the Beatles is that I, I, I mean, it's infectious pop fun music. I, I love it. I wasn't, I wasn't interested in, in who they were as people as much as, um, the people who saw this movie when it came out would have been. And I, I found th this movie is one of those movies. I, I was bored watching it, but it's also extraordinary. And I get that it's extraordinary. And I tried to put myself in the position of what it would have been like to watch it. Cause there are certain movies that just change the medium that aren't necessarily a movie that I would like, like, like birth of a nation is an extraordinary movie. It's message is hooray the clan. So we can't get behind it. <laughs> and, and this is a movie that just, it changed so much of what a, a movie could do, of what a, a, the relationship between a fan or the fans and the musicians and all the stuff that then it influenced, I mean, my entire lifetime, all the stuff that you see, the casual nature of it and the, the way that it looks like it's a documentary and the way that it looks like you're really just following them around. I mean, Richard Lester, just the, the way he tells the story is amazing. I personally wasn't interested in the story, but I, 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 I think... <laughs> it's an extraordinary movie and it's an important movie. And also, I mean, it's fun to hear the music because the music is great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Debbie. Debbie. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I love the We Beatles. need some Debbie delights. Let's go. I love the Beatles. <laughs> I love the harmonies. Uh, and I've always uh, wondered about who was singing what parts, you know? Mike, you probably know from your ear, you, you and your wife have got beautiful sound, you know, that harmony kind of knowledge. And I've always tried. So that's why I, can't, I, I feel the same way about the movie. Um, sorry to say, it is uh, kind of, to me, <laughs> I mean, the guys, they, they're kind of, the Beatles are kind in that movie. Now that movie, um, Hard Day's Night was kind of, I saw it when I was nine. And, uh, and that, that's oh, what it's like Spitfire Grill. So did you like <laughs> it when you were nine? And then what do you, you think? Know, I remember I was a kid <laughs> when I was nine, you know, I mean a child. I mean, I was a real child. I, I, I just started to go to movies and um, you know, that weren't cartoons. And I think uh, when I saw it, I said, well, this is very different. And I, I remember as a child thinking, this isn't like a movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> As I remember how I felt about seeing the movie and it kind of tried to follow it, but there was no follow. It was those guys. They were just sort of being glib. I I thought, you know, I didn't know that they were, I didn't use the term glib when I was a child, but some of the language. What term did you use? um, (laughs) What? No, just kidding. I was like, what? You know, I didn't understand being a child. But, you know, now to watch it, we just watched it, and uh, it was fun to see who was singing what. And that is always. Yeah, but how, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think. Did they really show that, or they just. Oh, yeah, they show all of that. So if George is singing, if we're seeing him on camera singing, that's his his voice in the song. Yeah, well, I tell you. Yeah. Well, one thing, I was getting on Debbie's last nerve while we were watching this. No, <laughs> really? Because no. wow, she's very I look patient. at different things every time I watch this movie. And, I, you know, I was trying to concentrate on the movie at whole, but mainly what I was watching was how they were playing the guitars. So, you know, like during If, you know, uh, I Should Have Known Better, I started giving out the uh, chords as I saw them. And I went, C, and she goes, C what? I go, the C chord, D. You should have known G. better. You, you know, and she's better. like, stop saying that. And then it's like, if I fell, you know, which is an interesting song because I think it's on the eighth bar. It does, it does a court, it does a key change, you know? So I'm listening. It's like, and I go key change. She's like, stop saying, stop saying things like that. You know, you know Sean talks. It may have been the 11th bar. <laughs> but it's early on. Now, if that doesn't get you to watch the film, nothing will. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's uh, <laughs> right there. Yeah. Uh, sometimes right. I just look at the equipment, you know. Sometimes. Yeah. Let's get to John. John did a bunch of notes. I guess he's got the Criterion Collection. So we're going to get some nerdy insight here, which is great. I watched the documentary on the movie. Look, I, I, I will tell you, this is one of these movies that I always say, if it comes on, I always watch it. And there's a lot of reasons why, but Ebert said it was one of the five best musicals ever made, and he put it up with Singing in the Rain. That's how much he liked this movie. I'm not even going to talk about the stuff that Lester did. He won an award. Uh, MTV gave him a diploma for being the father of MTV. And he said he wants to get his blood checked because he didn't buy that. But if you look at the stuff he did, (laughs) originally... I, I, the, your guys, you're making it sound like the only reason the only reason why the movie got made was to sell records. That is true. United Artists wanted to sell a soundtrack, 
So they, they, they gave Lester complete autonomy to make whatever he wanted to. They wanted songs. So they went to the Beatles. They went to uh, John and Paul and said, look, you got to write uh, eight songs for the soundtrack. So they wrote songs. Now you think about movie, uh, you think about band musicals up to that point, And it was really, the bands would be in the background. Uh, in fact, the Beatles got offered a couple of movies where they would be the band in the background. And they, they turned those down. They didn't want that. So this was so different the way the personalities were featured. But if you, if you, if you look at the songs they wrote, right, in any musical, a couple songs stand out. Well, every song on this soundtrack, a hit, Can't Buy Me Love, I Should Have Known Better, I Love Her. They cut out, you can't do that. So they, they filmed it. And then Hard Day's Night, the title came from something Ringo used to say, because they didn't have a title for the movie. They filmed the movie. They didn't have a title for the movie. And they're like, well, what should we call it? And um, uh, John Lennon was talking to the producer saying, you know, Ringo has this saying when we're in the studio all day, the next day he says, boy, that was a hard day's night. And they're all like, hey, that's kind of a good name. So then the producer says, can you write a song for it? Like, a song? Well, what would it be about? He goes, I don't know. You're the songwriter. Next morning, eight o'clock, they have the song a hard day's night with that chord but they filmed everything so all they did was they took it on the opening credits and played the song now you think about that that's that's eight hits in one movie so for me it's like the music itself is unbelievable but the other thing is and and this is something i really didn't know the timing of everything right the b uh, 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 george paul and john formed a band in 58 Okay. They were the quarry man and a bunch of other names. Ringo came along, I think in 61 after they got rid of Pete best. So love me do came out in 61 or 62 and it was a big hit, right? So they weren't unknown in the U S they, they were known well enough to go on Ed Sullivan. Right. So it wasn't like out of left field, they came and all of a sudden they're on Ed Sullivan. They were popular. The, the timing of this was all serendipity because they started production in December talking about production. They hadn't filmed anything yet. And they said to John, okay, what's your schedule? Like, well, we're going to the Bahamas in January. We're going to shoot Ed Sullivan in February. He goes, all right, go to the Bahamas and write the music. That's where they wrote the songs. Then they go on Ed Sullivan and they completely explode. Right? So now they've got this movie that comes out in July. So as big as they were, they just completely exploded across the world and now people who saw them in concerts now saw their personalities. And to Mike's point, obviously they're exaggerated personalities, but that, that is what their personalities were. They just exaggerated them. In fact, the movie was called An Exaggerated Day in the Life. It, it, there really wasn't a plot other than that. But when I look at this movie, I look at four young guys that are on the cusp of something gigantic. And that's what this movie was to me. It's like, this is, think of what's out there in the future for these guys. And this movie was the thing that started it out. And they were really good in it. They weren't a typical band doing a movie or, or actors playing a band. They, these were musicians who could act. They were funny. John Lennon was funny in this movie. And, and the brilliant thing about the script that was nominated for an Oscar, it's made to sound ad-libbed. And, and they said there was about 12 ad-lib lines in the entire movie, and it was John Lennon. He did all the ad-libs. Everything else was scripted to sound ad-libbed. And that's not an easy thing to do, right? 
And that's why, I, you know, you guys say there was no plot. I kind of get that. There was. It was just a day in the life of these guys because the writer who was with them for a couple of days said, this is exactly what it was like with these guys. And, and actually, as the shoot started to end, they started to get a little bitter about the fact that they really didn't have any any life because they couldn't go anywhere because all the screaming teenagers. But but to me, this was just seeing these guys so young. It's like when we talked about 48 Hours. You're looking at Eddie Murphy, right? And that one scene, you're thinking, think of the career this guy's get ahead of him. These guys changed music. I mean, prior to that, Elvis Presley was the biggest thing in the world. Epstein said to them, their manager, these guys are going to be bigger than than Elvis. And they're, you know, they're thinking... That would be like somebody saying today, you're going to be bigger than the Beatles, right? It just seems like it can't happen. This movie wasn't the start of it, but it was the extension of the Ed Sullivan broadcast. And people got to know these Beatles much more than they got to know musicians in the past. But again, the, the music is the music alone is unbelievable. But let's, ba- that- let's get back to the experience of the film for a second. okay? Yeah, because as I'm watching the film, this is the first time I've seen this film. I can't help really? think it was about the first time you've seen it. I might have seen it a long time ago, but I don't remember it. This is the first time I actually sat and watched. I stayed up through the whole thing, too, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't usually do that. Uh, I, I'm looking at it through what happened to them. Yeah. And the bittersweet nature of what I'm watching, which is these four innocent guys. And they weren't that innocent. They had, well, they John had some wasn't success. Innocent. They kind of knew. You could tell that they were kind of. You know, there was not a you know 100% innocence. But I'm looking at it through the eyes of oh, John Lennon got killed, and where everybody ended up, George Harrison, and it's very bittersweet. It's like kind of sad in a way that you know it just brought that up for me that these guys started off so young and fresh, and you know history does everything to every you know what are you going to do? But uh, you know, for me, technically, the film I was totally captivated by what he was doing in the frame especially in the music, the studio, when he's shooting the cameras and he's shooting the, the little yeah. monitors as different heads are in there and stuff. And the, and the hell you talk about the helicopter thing over the field. I mean, I thought, yeah, it was shaky, but it was super cool. And I just love the look. Well, the cinematographer, oh, it, right? The cinematographer, was... they, they interviewed the cinematographer and there was a script, but it wasn't a shooting script. So he couldn't really figure out what they were going to do. That helicopter, it's not like they rented the helicopter for a day. They went out to shoot the outdoor scenes. The helicopter was there. Yeah. So Lester said, you think we could use that helicopter? Mm. Yeah. Now the cinematographer's got to set up shots for something that wasn't <laughs> planned. And the shots were incredible. Well, they're yeah. iconic now because everybody uses them. Same, same. Right. So. And then, then the, the lens flare, uh, when, when he shot directly into the light, at, at one point, the camera goes around Paul McCartney. I know the shot you're talking shot. about. They're shooting through the drum set. It's a great, sh- no, 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 not that. Well, there's another one there. So what they did was the studio wasn't big enough and they couldn't get a crane to go around them. So they bought a baby swing, put the camera on the swing and went around them. And as they went around them, the camera looks directly into this big arc light, which was kind of a mistake. So the, the, the producers back in the States said, did, did you see the mistake? I mean, the lens, the camera was right in the light. And the producer said, yeah, you know, that took us half a day to get that shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was not done at the time. Though really, no. the guy who really broke that with lens flare was um, Conrad Hall in um, Cool Hand Luke because he used it a lot there. And now J. But J. it Abrams was here. It, this was, it was here first, you know. Right. But, but I mean, that, also, that scene, he also used six cameras. Yeah. They used six cameras in that. In fact, he said... So they they didn't have direct communication with all the cameramen like they do now. And they didn't have uh, they couldn't watch it back. So 
he let the cameraman just go out there. That's why there's a lot of close-ups, a lot of on the on the guitar hands, right? They never used to shoot that before. Well, he said one cameraman, the shots were so bad, he didn't use any footage from one camera because every time something interesting was about to be filmed, he would pull away the camera. So that alone is very unique. Usually it's a static shot facing the stage. That's how that stuff was shot before. So from a filmmaking standpoint, Lester was great. And the reason why he got picked, by the way, the Beatles had the had the choice of who they wanted. And because he was uh, there's a show called The Goon Show, which starred Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan. He was a director on those shows and there were a huge Peter Sellers fan. And that's how uh, Lester got in there. And they loved Lester. They thought he was great. And he was. So, it was amazing. So why did they stick that? Explain now, the Mark, grandfather get frustrated like I did. Clean the clean guy. One thing yeah. they didn't know how to shoot about guitar players is whenever they were shooting like a solo. Nowadays, you always shoot the um, hand that's fretting. Right. They would always go to the strumming hand. It's like, right. I want to see where he's playing that on the neck, you know? <laughs> well, the other thing was the, the, the grandfather, right? And we talked about this last night on our show. Everyone kept saying, he's very clean. He's very clean. What that show was the big that? Joke. What show? The, okay, so uh, his name's Wilfred Bramble, and he was on a show called Steptoe and Son, which is the American version of Sanford and Son. So... Instead of calling him a dirty man and he, you know, in a junkyard, he was clean. He was, he was actually. Yeah, uh, they beat that joke to death. But actually. because he was the most well-known actor out of anyone I in know. that movie other than the Beatles. I know. But and he was sort know. of the center of the whole thing because it all yeah. revolved around him. He was him. funny. He's a mix. He's the one that sent Ringo off. That's right. Half cocked. But that big, you got that big hooter, that big hooter, that the head. Must carry that weight. So, but yeah, as a film, trembling we, between the under the weight of that yeah, I, I thought for another thing too, not to be, you know, complaining about the film, but um, that they were kind of mean. Who was kind of mean? Uh, just about everybody that you know. Well, they all picked on Ringo. Everybody picked <laughs> on, on the Ringo. old man. No, like the guy in the um, car, the railroad. Yeah, car. well, you know. They, they were supposed to be well, like that was generational. The thing, new generation, right? Yeah, us versus yeah. them. Now, now I don't like. I want you to know, I fought the war for you. I bet you're sorry you won. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think I think that's actually a really important part of the movie. That yeah. um, you know, like in 1963, the 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 60s aren't really happening yet. The 60s right. are still the 50s, right? And I try to imagine the, the this movie was this huge change that it signaled something new and that this was one of the first things that made uh, an, an era different. There was a generation that had fought the war, like they say in the movie. And then there were these kids that were really different. And it's like, you know, a revolution is supposed to, the goal of a revolution is to change something so that it, it, it changes forever. That's absolutely what this movie did. It's part of what made the sixties, the sixties, as I know this because I studied it in my middle school history class, the sixties. And <laughs> yeah, you're such a jerk. <laughs> but yeah i mean it's really it's really um it's it's just it's an important it's an important movie it's just an yeah, important i mean movie. i just i couldn't get over the fact that their hair was a big deal that woman even says i can't yeah. the hair is so long i mean that hair was a big deal because right, everything you, in this movie is we're used to everything right. in this movie is how people engage with bands that they like yeah i mean my favorite scene frankly was when george goes into that where the guy's interviewing him i guess he's like a uh uh, he, he has models or something. I forget what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, that was almost like social yeah. media where right, they're right. trying to figure right. out her influence. They had an influencer and George is making fun of those shirts, which I guess were from some other band or something. I forget. There was an inside joke. She's about a him. drag. We turn off like the these. volume, which is on the TV. I like that scene. And that, that played 
pretty okay, current. By I the mean, way, that seems... scene was added because George went up to the writer and said, uh, you don't think very much of me, do you? He goes, why? Because you have written nothing for me. And he wrote that scene for him. And he was really good in it, too. Well, he married the, the guy, young girl. He married the, the guy who plays the, yeah, the fashion guy. Let's not forget Patty Boyd, who's all over that. Oh, yeah, well, that's his future wife. The guy who played the fashion guy was on Broadway in Caligula, a very serious actor <laughs> nice. who played that role. So You say that like it's a bad thing. No, no, I'm saying the fact that he would do this movie and play that type of role after doing that on Broadway. Mike, you're so quiet over there. What the, tell us something. You tell us, Give us some movie thoughts. Movie thoughts. Well, this movie, I mean. <laughs> One thing Sean brought up about uh, being a musician and how they would shoot musicians back then. Um, they edited this so that what you were here, what you were hearing on the soundtrack, what chords were being played was being shown on the screen at the right time. That was pretty unheard of. Um, usually those kind of editing decisions are left to somebody that has no clue or cares about what is actually happening on the screen. And I, and that was pretty interesting to me yeah. that they would go for that in what you call a low budget exploitation movie to try to make money on the phenomenon of the Beatles. Um, they put a lot of care into it. And a lot of musicians, obviously like Sean himself probably would be like, this is amazing. These guys are great. This is what I want to do. And, and I know what Cordy's playing right now. And it's, it's fun. Not only what chord, but what position on the neck, because anyone exactly. who plays a guitar knows you can play chords all over the place. So it was really cool to see when they would switch to a bar chord or this or that, you yeah. know, and, it, and you really got the voice. You got to understand the voicings of the song that way. So was that a learning tool for you guys? It is because you obsess over um, which formation of the chord they were playing. John Lennon has a very weird thing where he plays the uh, D chord in the, uh, what they call cowboy chords in the first three frets. But then he adds his pinky over into the fourth string on the fourth fret. And nobody else does that, but you can't play a Beatles song and make it sound right unless you add that extra pinky onto the fourth string of your D chord. Uh, if you wow. want to be, have the right sound. Yeah. Just and a isn't, little it as- true, isn't it true that some of the, um, the musicians went over to uh, Liverpool to try and teach them how to do some blues because they wanted to play the blues so bad. And the, who was it that said no, it? it was a, I think it was, this was a guy who went to London, an American blues magi- magi- magician, magician, musician and he said those those kid those english boys they want to play the blues so bad and that's how they play it so, so bad. bad you know so because they are so different the beatles had a different beat they just sounded different from blues or you know they expanded on us you know i mean not us but us now as a musical i really enjoyed this film as a musical yeah. i like the way the numbers just came out of nowhere uh, and, you know, you're seeing them play it, which is, you know, I'm not a musician, but I appreciated what was going on. Uh, I loved watching uh, Ringo on the drums, you know, a little inspiration yeah. there. Because you're me. learning the drums, aren't you? Yeah, I'm trying. And uh, this showed me it's, you know, he's, he's doing it. It's pretty good. I have a little aside, you know, Lauren Michaels, Saturday Night Live, will not shoot people playing the instruments. I read somewhere in a book that he has a rule that I don't want to see any of that instrument work 
stay on their faces, stay on the personalities. If you notice that show, they'll never go into a close up of somebody strutting a guitar or anything. Why Good. is that, Ralph? I think he just decided, he said it's about the musicians, not about, you know, the technical stuff they're doing. So huh. just a little. That's like if you saw that Madonna musician yeah. Yeah. that came out in the 90s, she put that on one of her tours. They never showed the musicians. They were like, even when they were on stage, she had like a curtain, like a, yeah. a silk or something. You could see them behind it. Just a weird thing that I read somewhere. And I thought, you know, but it, it's given so what you're saying, which is you guys actually, you guys were studying the film to see how they played. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Sometimes I just watch the guitars. I tell you what, I really want Lennon's Rickenbacker, that model. Rickenbacker. Rick, Rickenbacker. Well, we were watching Echo in the Canyon. They had a oh. big debate whether that was Rickenbacker or Rickenbacker. Also, uh, you I know, after it was we Bacher. watched The Hard Day's Night, we flipped over to watch Echoes in the Canyon. Have you seen that, Mike? Yeah. And just, oh. The- I've heard about that. I've heard that. It is just such a great film to see the progression when the uh, Beatles came to Los Angeles and how they incorporate, and especially, um, what's his thing? Um, Roger McGuinn? No. John Lennon? Paul McCartney? Guitar player of all time. Eric Clapton? Eric. Yeah, he was there, and he admits, you know, how, how... Every everybody um, steals from everybody. You know what I mean. That's there are only twelve notes. There's only twelve notes, so you it adapts its way into, you know, the culture, a new wave, and you know, everybody influences or, everyone. And uh, he he was right, and we watched it for the second time this film, and um, it's interesting that Eric Clapton right there. He says, "Well, I guess I copped, I copped that," and uh, Jacob Dylan says, "Oh, we can edit that out." And then he says, oh, no, keep it in because that he's not ashamed. You know, this is how music is formed, you know, from that that time when the Beatles came to um, be with uh, the birds. And, you know, that's the evolution of rock and roll. I just again, I'm looking at the film. I'm looking at how innocent these guys are. And, you know, about three years later, they're wearing the long hair and like how much change happens within those three years. And it's what I recognize in this is that, and this can't be fake, is there is a genuine affection between these guys. They are in it together. And that's what's so great about this movie. You know, and um, they were less, in, you can tell that they were less engaged with help. But in some ways, I like help. Help is definitely more plotted than this film. And I really, I like, I like the music and help better. And I think some of the musical sequences are um, better better music, you know, better music videos, you know, but, and, but, you know, they were less engaged, but they were still engaged with each other. You can always tell that they were like looking at each other, you know, and that they were playing off each other. Well, they looked like they were having fun in this movie. I mean, yeah, everybody yeah. looked like they were having fun. That's what yeah. I, I like about it too. I Mike, think that's I, what everyone oh, wanted sorry. to believe too. I think anyone who watched this movie, you know, anyone who was a fan, any, it was like, you know, we love these guys. They must love each other. And and this, I think this movie showed that. Yeah. Well, Mike, I was thinking, talking about fans, I was thinking about what you said earlier. I think, I, see, this is a movie I enjoy thinking about more than watching because there's so much going on <laughs> in the movie. And you mentioned it as an exploitation film, which I think is actually really interesting because there is, there is a monster that must have been very different for people watching this movie. I mean, the fact that they didn't have to recruit a whole bunch of young women to run after these mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the Beatles fans know this. There's a, there's a picture 
of these women, these young women clinging to a fence, screaming at RFK for a concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those women, that's my, uh, my wife's childhood friend's mother. She actually lives up the street. Oh. And um, <laughs> that is like, I, I mean, there's music that I love. There's musicians that I love. There have been people that I've had the opportunity to say thank you. But I mean, I, I've never chased anybody down. I've never done anything like that. And that must have been. I mean, you talk about these guys are in it together. That's part of, to me, what they were in together. That's yeah. part of this overwhelming world. I mean, the whole idea of a celebrity, uh, I mean, like Lindbergh was a celebrity before anybody, but this is like the, more, the sort of modern version of a celebrity where your life is ultimately not your own. That's the roots of all of that are in this movie. And it's, it's really interesting because it, it is kind of a, a monster that they are going to have to, to deal with because of their success. It's not the same. Uh, as, as before, like people want to know everybody's business, but this is when people actually ran you down watching these young yeah. women in the audience screaming their names and crying and, and that, that level of devotion. And it must've been both gratifying and also pretty. Imagine scary, the reaction when they hear a rumor that Paul McCartney is dead. These right. fans. Okay. Right. And what that, what that meant and what that meant to all these people. I mean, it, it, the phenomenon of these guys can't be overstated. You just can't. I mean, we, it's been, everybody knows this, so I don't want to, but I, I just, I look at it, I'm telling you, I look at it and I'm kind of sad um, knowing what happens down the road. But I also yeah. went to a Paul McCartney and Wings concert at FedEx Field probably 15 years ago. And the, the ages of that place, you know, went all the way from 12 years up to 78 years old. And everybody, when the, when the Beatles song started playing, everybody's up dancing around. It's an amazing thing. And well, that's look, what that movie a, yesterday really There's a handful really of musical into. artists that you're going to be singing their songs in 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, right? The Beatles is one of them. Elvis is one well, of them. A I, lot of the stuff you hear today, 20 years, you're never going to hear about it. So it does resonate. Do you now, really I want to give you one more little tidbit. This is the American distributor. When they saw the first cut of the movie, their suggestion to Lester was they wanted to dub the voices of the four guys. Can you imagine <laughs> Wow. Because Mid- you couldn't understand their British. Midwestern. They wanted it Midwestern. Okay. Can you imagine giving him that note? And by the way, Phil Collins was an extra in the, in the um, concert scene at the end. Uh, I, he, he's the one who narrates the Criterion documentary. And there's a little still of him in the crowd. Oh, they actually show it. I yeah. And they were all, n- n- none of them got paid. They were all just Beatles fans. They basically did a Beatles concert in that hall. That's exactly what they did. Uh, is Ringo actually a photographer? Do you guys yes. know if yeah. he's very good? Yeah. He's released a couple yeah. books of photography. Yeah. Interesting. He is very good. Yep. Interesting. Drew, you were going to uh, say something. Oh, I was just going to ask John, does he really think that Elvis Costello is, has got that kind of lasting power? You know, when you start Drew, mixing you Elvis Presley with Elvis Costello, you lose all credibility. <laughs> keep poking that bear. Okay? I don't know. Oh, it was oh, I don't Elvis, know. Elvis Stoico. Sorry, I know sorry. Mike is an Elvis Costello I fan. Love well, so am I, but don't compare him to Elvis Presley. Okay? Listen, Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley did something that I hope to do one day, which is a very considerate thing to do for your family. Double. And also a memorable thing to do. Uh, here it comes. Wojo's got it. To die on the toilet is okay. so okay. thoughtful. Okay. It's thoughtful. Oh, and I admire oh, it. Good. Let's oh, start. Okay, so I've been to Graceland. But twice I've been to Graceland. Never got to sit on the toilet. Ooh. Oh, man. You that is my favorite Paul my Simon mother. song. Do not talk about Elvis. I'm just trying to figure out which Elvis you're talking about. Oh, my God. 
All right, so, okay, I think, by the way, the Beatles were huge Elvis fans. Huge Elvis fans. And Elvis Costello was a great comedian. I think uh, we know the ratings on this. We kind of get a feeling, but let's just go around and just get it again. Uh, Drew? <laughs> this is, it's a great film that I don't need to watch again, personally, but it's a great okay, film. That's, I respect that. Rojo? I'm kind of in the same bucket. I mean, yeah, I, I would watch it again, but it's, I, it's, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't need to. But I don't need to. The rest, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say yippee-ki-yay. I'll never, I don't think I need to watch it again. Although I, you know, I might just because some of the technical stuff in there is pretty cool. I'll just uh, I, I think on. it does make me want to go watch Help, to be honest. I might check that one out. Um, it makes me want anyway. to watch Yesterday. Yippee-ki-yay, yay, yay. Yeah. yeah, okay. I love Yesterday. Sean and uh, Debbie. Yeah. All right, yippee-ki-yay. What about well, you? Well, to the Beatles, yippee-ki-yay, yay, yay. To the movie, I, yay, yay. That's a mess. Mike, Yippee-ki. Mike, we rate Yippee-ki-yay Yippee-ki-nay. Yeah, it's, you know, I'll, I'll go back and revisit it again in another couple of years for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know. And every time it comes on, I watch it. Every yeah. time. Now, Mike, I brought you because I was it's afraid TCM all the time. like it. So oh, I wanted okay. someone to, to tilt the balance in favor of the movie. I got no, that's, I mean, it's really created their iconic look, too. Those shots they do at the end where you're yeah. seeing from the eyebrows up and yeah. all that. And even that scene where George gets his picture taken and they do the that strip. photographer. Uh, they hired the photographer to take stills. And based on what he did, they let him do the movie poster. So the movie yeah. poster was his design. Wow. Yeah. And the, the, uh-huh. uh, the tailor was the, their tailor. Just the so tailor you know. was there. And that, they did about 30 takes of that. And That's, that was all ad lib every John time. Lennon. I do. Want I to thought say John day. Lennon came off pretty good, pretty, pretty good in this film. I thought he, he, he you know, Anyway. I think they all came up. I didn't good. realize that they were written ad libs, so that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Can I, want, I tell I you my, that, uh, my I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. separation from somebody in the movie? Of course. Yeah. Um, back in the 80s, I used to go to a lot of uh, Beatles Fest fan conventions in New York, and uh, they had a special guest, uh, Victor Spinetti, who oh, played the, uh, the director. director or the TV yeah. director um, in. Hard Day's Night and was actually in Help and Magical Mystery yep. Tour as well. Anyway, he was a guest at the convention and I was having my uh, Super 8 sound camera around and I asked him if he would film a special scene for me and if he would uh, recreate a line he did in the movie Help. And so he took the microphone and he looked directly into my Super 8 camera and said, with this microphone, I could, dare I say it, rule the world. <laughs> you'll see that scene awesome. Mike, you I have that you have that footage still i do i'm just transferring it now into oh, that's awesome <laughs> he was funny when they interviewed him he said uh they uh lester would rehearse the scene and film it and not tell him so like at one point george harrison knocks over an ant by mistake <laughs> they just kept it in that opening scene when he fell that wasn't planned they just kept it going is he so the director was, with the sweater is that the guy with the yeah. sweater yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've I've got awards on my wall in the right. office. He kept That's saying, "When you're over thirty, you don't understand what's going on." He was on in the producers. Guys. Was it not? Was wasn't he in the producers? Was that Spinetti? No, no, it wasn't. Cool. And you have that. You're going to transfer that digitally, huh? Get that. I on am. Something? Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see that. that. That's cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know those old Super Eight sound cameras. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good run that. there. Yeah. Nice, nice movie. Yeah. For some of us. Most of us. Uh, 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 we don't need to spin the wheel this time. Debbie is the no, last No, I think we standing. should spin the wheel. I think nope. Debbie should get don't her picture. Don't need to. Picture. Debbie's got it. 
That's, you, you know, know what? You that's, a movie, Debbie. She gets dizzy if you spin her too hard. Debbie, I don't agree with that, okay? I think you should get the Fire Grill 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> you got a couple uh, days. What did I finally say? Oh. What, are you going to check oh, with your agent God. first? Yeah, well, it was going to be one, but then I changed it. It was going to be Working Girl, but then you changed it. Oh, I let Working Girl's a good movie. In my name. mind, it's going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In Hollywood. Oh, Wow, I just watched that. that. I don't have to watch it. The Tarantino film? Oh, no, Tarantino. your assignment is to watch it. you got to watch it. I've the seen Tarantino it like 10 film. times already. You, you've seen it 10 times? Yeah. Keep asking Oh, Ralph. my gosh. Is that I love it. One? I love that movie. I mean, okay, that just came out. The day it? my wife picks a Tarantino movie. Yeah, I yeah. can't believe that. <laughs> I can't yeah, believe it can't either. Debbie, the only, the only downside of that is got to listen to Ralph slobber all over Brad Pitt when he takes his freaking shirt off on top of the roof. You see the, oh, his arms him. in look that film? Oh, look at his you arms. See, oh, look at his costume. When he's driving that car, look at his forearms when he's driving oh that car. God. He has to really turn that steering wheel. Oh, my God. I, I'm not going to be able to deal with that, but good okay. call. So, bye. <laughs> Whoa. All right, everybody. I guess Wojo has Any final point. words, Mike? Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed the discussion, and uh, you guys are all right. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Mike, are we all right enough for you, you I didn't embarrass you with my story, did I? No, I was just going to say, Mike, share. thanks for saving Sean. That really yes. uh, we yeah. are. We're all deep. We're all richer because of that. Yeah, so. and our 12 viewers will thank you, too. <laughs> oh, also, too, I want to say Mike has influenced me and Debbie in another way. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. What Mike is it, though? used to have these amazing pools. waterbed? What? And afterwards, he had his band equipment set up in the basement, and everybody would go in the basement and play. You know, And on, jam? And jam. And Debbie and I have had a couple hoot nannies like that. So we're waiting, to, uh, we're waiting for COVID to lift. Let's see. You don't. It's, you don't it, get the word hootenanny. You don't hear that word often. Okay, so yeah. you're really getting something here. We hoot and we nanny. <laughs> hoot but, nanny. Uh, Mike, um, we're we really tr- totally enjoy your podcasts when you do your show. Your live shows. Your live show. Those Zoom. are. Oh man, yeah. you guys got to see it. It's awesome. What is it? What is it? Tell yeah, us what it is. Plug. Yeah, let's plug. push your podcast. Oh, well, it's just um, my wife and I both perform, and uh, we've done a couple of Facebook live concerts over That's the a long podcast pandemic name. and if you go to uh the lanes on facebook um you could find them and and watch them at your leisure nice i like it a very eclectic hit collection of, of uh, check it out i hate to say it but can you do uh come on down to my boat baby he did that on a previous come on battle. down to my boat baby Come oh, on down, we'll uh, well, she she was talking to Mike, John. Yeah, John. Yeah, yeah, but I love that music, man. Yeah, that's that's oh, my bread you is did butter. That in one of your concerts, oh. you, did, you did a cover of that song. Yes, he did. He once called me on stage to play Green the Tambourine and Green Tambourine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Max is on Broadway. We All right, producer, Mister Producer Man. Together and let's do- wrap this up. Guys, Ralph uh, is uh, studying drums. So is Michelle. Or Wojo. I'm leaning way back. I'm leaning back. John is learning how to um, play the guitar. And Drew, Drew. Banjo. You play the banjo, don't you? Well, I I mean, I own one. I don't think anyone wants to hear what it sounds (laughs) like. I own one. And Brad advertised himself as a moderate guitar player. So amateur. 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 I thought you were moderate. All right. Yeah, Ralph, this is kind of hard. Let's go. Ralph, it's, it's been a long day's night. Facebook this is a hard, this has been a hard day's podcast. Definitely a hard day's podcast. Yeah.
So, all right, everybody have a good week. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank Great you, week to everybody. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank Once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. Buy me love. The Tarantino film, right? Yeah, buy you yeah Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, buddy. Good night. Good night. All right. See ya. Yeah. yeah.